everyone, it's Michael here. Today we hear from Jeremy, the seventh guest I've interviewed about a lab research experience designed for undergraduates. Jeremy and I recorded this some time ago, so don't mind all the references to summer. I wish we were still there as well. If you haven't listened to some of the previous episodes, we have a lot in the back catalog now since May that I think are really good. How do men think about becoming fathers for the first time in Senegal? That's with Dick Powis in episode 16. We have Sharna Katsef who talks about what life is like as an anatomy instructor in Australia in episode 27. Maybe you want to go back to the beginning to episode one and check out my friend Sarah Louise de Croza's episode on how the female pelvis grows and develops. After this episode with Jeremy, check them all out on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or Arcananth.com. It has been a joy to talk to such a broad range of guests, and I hope that you're enjoying it too. And with that, on to Jeremy's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Arcananth podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and we have another episode with a NSF REU participant, the project on bioarchaeology of Bronze Age social systems. Today we have Jeremy Simmons on the show. Jeremy, are you there? <laughs> yes, I'm here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's it's uh, it's the summer, finally. Yes, it's very nice. It's very hot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually prefer it this way. Uh, do you? Uh, I'm more of a spring person. I like the transition times. Mm -hmm. It's kind of stagnant right now. And so I'm not, I'm not too, too worried, but like, it's a little, it's a little hot. <laughs> where are you calling in from where it's uh, kind of hot? I'm calling in from Gloucester, Virginia. It's very humid here. It's actually pretty similar to Mobile, Alabama, which is kind of surprising because Mobile is so much more South, but yeah, Gloucester keeps up with the heat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and what are you doing at the moment in Virginia? I'm just home for the rest of the summer. Um, I flew in on Tuesday back from Mobile. So I'm just here. I'm going to help my parents out with a few things that they need for their businesses. And other than that, I'm I'm chilling until the school year starts. Normally, where, where do you go to school? I go to the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, which is actually not too far for me. Mm -hmm. And how, how long have you been interested in sort of anthropology and archaeology? Um, I, I think I really got into it in high school. And because we didn't have many classes in high school that would um, have those disciplines demonstrated, I really was like looking into it on the internet. And I, I really found William and Mary to have a really good program. So I've been into it for a little bit now. And I, I found it very interesting. Mm -hmm. How how many years do you still have uh, left? I have one year left for undergrad. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what your plans are in general, like with your studies? Mm -hmm. So I plan to go to graduate school, um, probably an MA to a PhD program, um, studying anthropology. I want to focus on either bioarchaeology or forensic anthropology and work as an anthropologist that studies skeletal remains and really bringing out the story behind those remains. Mm -hmm. I've found very, very good research and a lot of things considering the aspect of skeletal remains so interesting because it's, it's something that not everyone gets to do. So I really, really enjoy it. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of your friends I know also said the same on, on their episodes too. What about forensic anthropology and bioarchaeology strikes you as you know, such a cool discipline? I really think forensic anthropology in specifics has this kind of singularity, like the singular aspect about it that it's just not found in other kinds of studies. Like, because you can do chemistry and you can do biology, but like that's been done before. And yes, you can break new grounds with that that subject. But I feel like forensic anthropology just has this kind of uniqueness to it where you're able to do a lot of things that people wouldn't expect you to be able to do. And so it's groundbreaking in that kind of aspect in studying like skeletal remains. Mm-hmm. And uh, has the REU program helped you with this passion? Has it changed your the way that you view the fields uh, in any way? I really think the REU has helped me in terms of determining how I want to go about doing forensic anthropology. Um, I definitely feel like my view has changed in a positive way, being that I have more of an ethical background to it because we went through a lot of ethical launches and talks and stuff. And it really dawned on me that this is such an important aspect of either forensic anthropology or bioarchaeology in order to study skeletal remains. And yes, I've known a little bit about the ethics of like studying skeletal remains before, but I think because of the kind of caliber that they gave us the information on ethics and really tested our theory and really questioned us as young bioarchaeologists or forensic anthropologists, it really just helped us gain all this um, experience in really looking at the whole circle and determining what is best in a certain situation. Mm -hmm. What kind of um, ethical aspects did your mentors touch on when you were uh, looking at the particular samples that you were looking at? They really let us kind of build our own notion of what was ethical in terms of studying the remains we had. And we had different visitors and we would discuss the ethics and they would apply it to our own sample that we were studying. And they would allow us to think of things, whether that be with the people that were existing during the Umanar period want us to study the human remains today. And if there were descendants who didn't want that to happen, then we would have to call our work into question to favor the descendants of the people that we were studying. Or if there was a certain text that just didn't want the remains to be studied or something like that, we would have to take in consideration our work and really question if it was ethical to be studying remains that we were, um, especially coming from the time period and anything else that was related to that time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in the context that you guys were all working in, were all the burials like from the same time period and from from the same region? So there were two tombs, Unar 1 and Umar 2. They were both from the Umanara period. There is a suggested overlap, but both were used for around 200 to 300 years. But there's also an instance where one of the Unar 1's tombstones was used at the base of Unar 2, suggesting that they were not used at the same time. So there needs to be more archaeological work there is evidence that says that they were not used at the same time because why would the 
uh, why would a tombstone from Unar 1 be at the base of Unar 2 if that was the case? Do we know a lot about the context around the bones? Like, do we know anything about the like mortuary rituals or like the ways that the burials were were done? Yes, the burials had evidence of purposeful commingling, which is putting more than one person into the same burial site or having multiple groups of people in the same burial site. And so in these tombs, there was a lot of commingling of people and it allowed the bones become fragmentary. There was also sources of cremation in Unar 1 and Unar 2. So it showed that in the mortuary rituals that the people did have senses of purposeful commingling and cremation. There were also signs of secondary pits. There was a secondary pit right next to the tombs in which bodies were brought out of the tombs and cremated and then put back into it. And that's primary and secondary internment where they originally put the body into the burial and then they take it out cremate it and put it back so there's more room for more bodies to go into mm-hmm. it. It's fascinating. Do we know a lot about the the people themselves? Like, do we know a lot about their, their social lives or anything interesting biological? I really think that considering my project, we had the temporal bone and we had to have the massive crosses and the petrus portion. And we had a really small sample, but we found similar sex ratios between UNR1 and UNR2 both of which had higher counts of females based on our sample. And so we really thought that maybe there was a sense of social stratification. Unfortunately, there isn't a whole lot of writing or uh, known history of the Umar period, considering Unar 1 and Unar 2. So it's hard to say through the history of it all. But through our projects, we've kind of determined that maybe there was a sense of social stratification, even though we had a small sample size. Mm-hmm. Did you get a sense of, um, so I know that all eight of you uh, presented on your results towards the end of the program. Mm-hmm. Did you get a sense of like what further analyses would be quite interesting to do in the future? Um, I definitely think using other bones of the skeleton to determine or estimate sex would be really beneficial to see how well it would differentiate amongst the different bones of the body that are able to do that. And maybe looking at musculoskeletal markers where you can see specific activities could have developed certain bony attributes on the bone Mm -hmm. um, to determine like I don't know, maybe they were hunter-gatherers or maybe they were doing this. But but a big problem that I know a lot of you faced was the fact that like a lot of them were fragmented and then sometimes even made uh, more difficult by not just being fragmented, but the the bones were also burned at some point. So that kind of reduced their preservation even more. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, did you find it tough uh, dealing with that aspect? Yes and no. I feel like being that we only could use temporal bones that had the petrus and mastoid. It made us hard to have a large sample size, but in terms of using them, it made it easier for our project because we didn't have as many to go off of. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically the the burning of the bone, sometimes warping can occur and sometimes it just it's very fragile and 
I really don't think the temporal group really had a huge, huge problem. I definitely think that, yes, it was difficult dealing with fragmentary remains, especially if you've never dealt with them before. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just something to be cognizant about. But other than that, I really don't think it was that difficult based upon the fact that we just had such a small sample size to go off of and sorting wasn't that difficult. For those people who like don't know what the mastoid process is and and why you were looking at it, can you explain a little bit about like the the, the thinking behind using that as a method? Mm-hmm. So the mastoid process is a projection of the temporal bone on either side of your face. Um, and it, it points right behind your ear. So that it that is what it is, basically. Um, and we wanted to use the mastoid process because it's sexually dimorphic, um, where based on its robusticity, the mastoid process gets either smaller or larger depending upon males or females. Of course, this is going off the binary. So males have a larger, more robust mastoid process and females have a smaller, more gracile type of mastoid process. And basically, we wanted to give the mastoid process a score from one to five, one being female, five being male, and in between being two for a probable female, three for ambiguous, four for Mm -hmm. probable male, um, and just see what we would find based off of that and then compare that to the lateral angle Mm -hmm. of the Petrus portion. Cool. Well, uh, I think that, that, uh, you know, I've been hearing a lot about like all of your findings and, you know, I I find it really impressive that all of you have uh, accomplished you know, all of these things uh, in such a short amount of time. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it was definitely a little bit grueling. Mm-hmm. I, not not demanding, but grueling. Um, and the fact that we had to do a lot of this in such a short amount of time. But I definitely think it was so rewarding to do it in that amount of time because now we know how to do a research project and one, that short amount of time. Two, we know how to do a research project, period. And we know how to develop hypotheses and methodology in short amount of time that will allow us to actually start data collection mm-hmm. at a much faster rate. So I really think it, it was such a great experience in the fact that we were able to do that. Mm-hmm. I, and I imagine like in the future, um, you know, just like, just like me, you, you would probably like to do this again, right? And, and conduct your own research one day. Yes, I definitely would love to continue doing research. I feel like research is something that not everyone gets a chance to do sometimes. And that given the richness and the valor that it holds, especially in being able to find out certain things and certain results, it's just so rewarding. Mm -hmm. And without research, we can't move forward in the field. So I really think that it's an amazing thing. And I would love to continue doing research. Mm -hmm. I think that like the grueling schedule that you had is really good practice because like uh i've been doing this for for 10 years and Mm -hmm. for my phd research i went away for about two weeks or three weeks and really that's all you get because you know museums and and other universities they're only going to give you a finite amount of time and (laughs) i mean i think i would scare you with what i fit into three weeks (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, I was uh, 3D scanning like a lot of long bones, like femora and humeri. Mm -hmm. And then while it was scanning, I was like quickly like digging up the like skulls and the teeth from the from the boxes and then measuring them like, you know, in 40 different ways. Mm -hmm. And then like observing their dental health and looking at all of these pathologies before the scan finished and then it was done. And then like the next, next, uh, next individual. And it was, it was super fast paced. So I think you have good practice here. Wow. Yeah, no, I, th I really think that it was so good for an undergrad position to be put to the test like this, because now we're more prepared for when we go off to grad school or if we want to work in a lab or something like that, where there might be a more grueling type of schedule in terms of mm -hmm. trying to get a lot of the data collection done and coming up with methodology and just doing everything and putting together everything for a project. So yeah, no, that's that's definitely scary to me, <laughs> your research mm -hmm. and doing all of that. But I'm sure at this point we could all handle it. <laughs> and yeah, and I was telling uh, Alyssa that, you know, it's especially impressive because the things that you looked at were so fragmentary. And uh, I told Alyssa that I'm probably spoiled because all of my bones are pretty well preserved. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, would you do it again? Like, do you think, or, or would you recommend other people do this? So if, if there are undergrads out there, do you encourage them to apply for similar programs? I definitely, definitely would recommend this because it's one, it builds a foundation and it really gets down to the things that you want to study and the things that you want to learn about anthropology and whether you think it's right for you or not, regardless of the research. Mm -hmm. And then the research itself, it builds you up to the point where you're so good at doing a lot of the things that you never had experienced before, whether that be creating a, a, a PA poster or writing an abstract are creating bibliographies and citations and really getting down to the nitty gritty of certain articles or textbooks that you might use for your research. You learn how to citation mine and find the original sources and go back and dig through all these different um, PDFs and books and different things where you are building this kind of uh, academic valor and mm -hmm richness to the point where you are going to be ready for anything afterwards. Um, so I definitely would definitely would recommend this for other undergraduates. And I will go back to my school and I will preach to the masses that they need to apply for this if they're interested into studying bones or anything along the lines of archaeology or bioarchaeology because it's just such an enriching experience mm -hmm. and I really I really do appreciate everything I've learned this summer yeah sounds really like intellectually rewarding and I I know that a lot of the time when undergraduates want to get this experience they often have to pay a, a huge amount just to go mm -hmm. what what do you think about uh, the fact that you know, the program was able to support all of you financially as well I think it that was not the not the main thing that motivated me but the cherry on top because to have this experience and not be worried about housing or worried about buying food and stuff like that when we were given a stipend basically to stay and 
just be able to do and cover any cost that we might need to do. It's so rewarding because I we were go- I honestly was going to have to pay for doing something outside of this mm-hmm. if I did not get it. So I applied to a few. I, I applied to two REUs, the one at the Smithsonian and the one that I took place in. And then I was thinking about a field school that one of my other professors had sent to me and the applications weren't till or weren't due till April something, but I got the notification that I got this and I was like, well, I guess I'm going to Mobile. <laughs> so definitely, definitely so rewarding that I was able to do this and have everything covered basically because it's very expensive to go to field school and coming out of pocket and doing all that stuff. So <laughs> I'm very grateful, very grateful that I had the opportunity to take place. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you do when you're not, you know, obsessing over archaeology and anthropology, Jeremy, in your spare time? Um, I do a lot of photography on the side. Um, I really got into photography coming out of high school and I really just have really gotten into it. And so I do that. I. I guess I like going to the gym and working out and doing that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I really like thrifting as well. Uh, I love going to the thrift shops. I actually went to the thrift shop yesterday and found a really cool, cool vintage Polaroid camera. So I really find photography such a wonderful thing that I've gotten into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you found that photography has helped you do anthropology in any way? Um... I feel like anthropology is such a wide, wide field that has so many entities included in that and concepts and things. And so I really feel like the culture, the cultural anthropology of looking at different aspects of art is really something that photography has helped me understand because I'm more on the biological aspect. And so I see evolution and I see all this kinds of stuff and bones and things of that nature where I don't always think of the other sides of anthropology, whether that be linguistic or um, archaeology or cultural or different things that can exist within those different fields. And so I really feel like photography has opened me up to the artistic side of me as well as seeing different cultural entities within the field of photography and looking at that through an anthropological perspective and just being able to experience that and learn from it. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is like a big field, I think, of like visual anthropology and and people incorporating, you know, video and and photo. Mm -hmm. uh, to like all of their work, looking at aesthetic and looking at culture. So I think that'd be really cool actually to merge the two somehow, like a little bit more in the future, if people could Mm -hmm. incorporate that into more uh, scientific or biological based work as well. Yeah, no, I definitely feel like that is such a great thing to do because when you're talking about certain things, when it comes to skeletal remains or the Umanara period or Bronze Age Arabia, people might want an image associated with that. People might want to see what you're doing because they're not just um, auditory learners. They might be visual learners or they might not fully understand the subject and might need a visual aid. So I really think that is such an important concept is to include visuals 
into different aspects of science because not everything is black and white. <laughs> some things are colorful, some things are pretty, some things are beautiful. And so you have to be able to share that and show the people that you are doing something that might benefit their knowledge on the subject or might benefit the people that are being studied. So mm -hmm. yeah, no, I really, I really definitely agree with that. Do you usually take photos of uh, scenery, of objects, of people? What do you usually do? I think I really focus on the people. I really um, like portraits photography and so I'm really into that. I've gotten a, a little into abstract photography with photographing scenery and like objects and stuff but I'm, I really focus on the people. I love a good portrait in terms of like the depth and the bokeh and I, I've really gotten into editing as well with Lightroom and Photoshop and so I've really like kind of developed my own style mm -hmm. and it's so interesting to see see how I've grown this far and how much further I can grow by learning more aspects and doing more photography. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you uh, get the chance to do a lot of photography while you were on the program? Did you take portraits of, uh, you know, Silvio and Charlie and, and Shaylee, everybody? Um, I did get a little into my photography when we went to Moundville um, and basically it was just a wonderful experience where we went to the mounds and talked about the culture that had existed there. And we had gotten up on the biggest mound, or not the biggest mound, but like the, the tallest mound at the time. Mm -hmm. And I snuck behind everyone and I was able to get a portrait of them looking out amongst the field of mounds and everything like that. And so I really think that they were surprised <laughs> when they saw the photos. Um, but I really, I really enjoyed that experience. But yeah, no, I, I, I did that. And then we had to take photos with the photography station inside the lab of the bones. And I was like, so excited. I was like, I can't wait to do it because this is so cool. And it's so interesting mm -hmm. how we uh, document our studies and are able to share that with other people through the images. And then we did do a stroll, me, Alyssa, and Rachel, we went through a stroll and we did a, a small photography kind of project. Not not really a project. I would say just a little small shoot. <laughs> um, and I got some good portraits of them. So, yeah, I, I got to dabble into the <laughs> photography just a, just a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> so you are the seventh out of eight to record with me. Victoria, your classmate Victoria, will be the last. Mm -hmm. Do you have a question for Victoria that you think might be good to ask her when she comes onto the show? Ooh, um, I'm not too sure because Victoria is actually my research partner. We're both <laughs> connected, so <laughs> I don't know. I don't know too much that... <laughs> She wouldn't know. Um, maybe ask her about the lateral angle. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Tell her to explain it to the people. And yeah, talk about the challenges. <laughs> I will. Uh, and uh, do, do we want to find out what she, what she thought about working with you? Sure. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like we both were such a great team. And the fact that one, we could keep it serious when we needed to keep it serious, but we had so much fun doing the project. Mm -hmm. And we honestly, to be real, we didn't think we were going to be research partners because uh, I feel like during the osteology portion of the REU, 
we were like giggly and just like enjoying our time and really focusing on like studying the bones, but also maintaining that level of happiness and enjoyment throughout the course. And so we thought based on that notion, we wouldn't really get paired together because one, we might be too loud or <laughs> we might be disruptive or, you know, things like that. But no, we got paired together and it was really such a great experience being with her because we really understood who we each other were, but also our love for anthropology and our ability to work together was amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, never lose that. I think that finding your your friends in the field is really important. Um, and uh, that's something that I would recommend to anyone is like find your network and, and find the people that are like your people. Um, are you excited to see everyone again in, in April? Oh my gosh, I'm so, 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 so excited to see everyone in Los Angeles. And I think it's going to be very interesting because we will have grown as people during this time apart and to see each other all again will be very rewarding. Mm -hmm. It really will. So <laughs> I'm thinking of closing the show soon. What do you have upcoming before, before April? I might be working on some more research given my advisor's own research. He's coming off sabbatical, so I'm not quite sure what he's up to, what he's been up to, and if I can get involved. But I definitely have really enjoyed my experience through the RAU, and they, they told us that we should always try to keep doing stuff, whether that's volunteer work or working in a lab or anything, considering the fact that we will want to continue our careers in this field. So start on new projects and stuff like that, because... The world is my oyster. <laughs> okay, well, uh, is there somewhere online that people can can follow you and, and, and see the rest of your journey in the future? Um, yes. Uh, so my Instagram is je4rs3msy underscore one six. That's where you can follow me on Instagram. I really uh, get into photography on my Instagram. So at the end of every show, as I'm sure Quentin warned you about when you were still in Mobile, <laughs> yes. I ask for a hashtag uh -huh. from every guest. I think my hashtag is going to be short and sweet and simple. It's going to be LA. Um, LA for Los Angeles because that's where the A APAs are going to be in 2020 and also LA for lateral angle. <laughs> <laughs> how do we, uh, how do we make sure that, uh, you know, we don't pick up a lot of other, uh, LA related, you know, content? Um, I, I don't know. I feel like the lateral angle in the internal auditory VAs speaks for itself. So <laughs> <laughs> how, about, how about like uh, hashtag LA, like capital L, capital A, and then lateral angle, like just all one word, but that way it's clear and it's unique. And then people can use that to indicate they've heard the whole thing. Yes. LA lateral angle <laughs> i mean when you first said that I, I almost thought that you wanted to do hashtag short and sweet and simple which was pretty good too <laughs> cool. uh, anything else that you think we haven't covered already that you any closing thoughts um, no i i really think the ru was a wonderful experience and i 
really appreciate you reaching out to us fellows mm-hmm. to interview. It's, it's been my pleasure. It's been really fun. And uh, I'm, I'm really impressed. I, I, I'm also going to LA mm-hmm. to the conference, so I can't wait. And it'll be fun. Yes, it will. <laughs> okay, listeners, if you like this episode with Jeremy, then, then let us know. Uh, you can find the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And there I'll include a link to Jeremy's Instagram. You can also find more episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else you find podcasts. If you want to support the show, then please follow us on patreon.com slash Pod, And there you'll see a variety of options for supporting the show a little bit every month. And I will make sure that any money that comes my way, I can use to make sure that I produce the best show that I can. All of that information you can find at arcananth.com. Jeremy, thanks so much for being a guest on today's episode. Thank you, Michael. And uh, I will speak to you soon. Yes. (laughs) Listeners, thanks so much for listening. I will have another episode out for you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you.